The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! <laughs> You think he's gone? He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone. Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I must have not been paying attention when you were just talking to me. Do you think that you could repeat the question and I listen more attentively? There must have been something in all of that. All right, we're up. Eunice is a singer, you know. Oh, so am I. So she's mandated to do the Papa Fives. Okay. We have to let her know when they when they are coming up, though. Well, she should know if she watches the show. Oh, we'll, I do. We'll, so. we'll find uh-huh. out. Sing it all today. I got you. I tried twice and nothing came out. <laughs> of course, when you're just waking up. Yeah. True. Here, the, here they are. Wait for it. Go. Ba, 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 ba. Not bad, not bad. There we go. All right. She can stay. I, <laughs> gu- I guess so. <laughs> I got, by the way, Pavel did not do the Papa Five, so you yeah, already went up thanks. on him. All right, let's get this show on the road, shall we? Hi, my name's Tom Duggan, new at the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, top two guys, Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. I'll tell you, I could do a whole show today on Ukraine. I'm not going to do it. We've got a local uh, guest in the studio, and quite frankly, I prefer to do local, local shows anyway. Um, I like to do some of the national stuff because we talk about things that nobody else talks about. But I think really our bread and butter here is is local news and getting local candidates and local officials in here. And again, my opinion doesn't really matter. So a lot of times I I won't challenge a candidate on something and I'll get emails from people saying, why did you let so-and-so get away with that? Uh, get away with saying this or that. And my answer is I'm... I'm you can tune in every week to hear my opinion, but when I have a guest here, most of the time it's really about their opinion and where they stand so you know whether or not you want to vote for them uh, or support them or whatever. Um, so today uh, we have with me uh, Eunice Ziegler. She's a Methuen city councilor. She, by the way, right out of the gate, I have to say, um, she is a supporter of TMF, the Movement Family. You see my shirt today I'm wearing. Um, and, uh, and, that's, and that's one of the reasons why I love her, but I have to tell you, She's such a nice person, and it's very difficult in this business, especially at the local level, to find people who are just really nice people, who say what they mean, mean what they say, don't throw bombs at people, don't use their positions as elected officials to get even with their enemies, to hurt people that might be wanting to run against them. She doesn't do any of that, and although we don't always agree on issues, the fact that I know when she votes on something at the Methuen City Council that she's voting on it 
because she really believes it's for the best for the community, I can at least respect. So welcome. Thank you for coming, Eunice. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This is me. your first time here today, isn't it? It is. I'm a newbie. Now, how, why is that? I've been trying to get you here for like forever. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm here now. <laughs> All right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I want to thank my sponsors, McLennan Real Estate. We just posted a nice story about Janet McLennan getting an award on the Valley Patriot um, website. And by the way, you, should, you guys should be visiting the Valley Patriot website at least once a week. Uh, I know I share most of the stories on my Facebook page and, and other social media, and I know that's where people get uh, their stuff. But you should go anyway because you might miss a story that we post. I want to thank AFC Urgent Care, Marseille and Son Construction, EIS Investigation and Gun Training, Borelli's Deli, Tomo and Happy Crab, Clear Path for Veterans New England. <sighs> this sponsor list is getting longer and longer. Sullivan Insurance and Lazy River Products in Dracut. Um, Eunice, you're a Methuen City Council. You're serving in your third term in, as a uh, East End Counselor. Yes. And now you're thinking of running for, or you're not thinking of, you are running for uh, State Senate. So why don't you tell people who may not know who you are a little bit more about yourself and why you're running for State Senate. So, um, as Tom said, my name is Eunice Sickler. I'm a candidate for State Senate. I am currently serving as a Methuen City Councilor. And as a counselor, one of the things that's most important to me is community, is collaborating with various people uh, throughout the community to ensure that we're getting things done and that we're making the community a better place to live. When I started on the council in 2018, I saw that there was a lot of need to do things differently. So within my second month, I established the Economic Development Committee of the Council. By the 10th month, we were launching a community-wide celebration called Methuen Day that celebrated our arts and culture, our small business community, and just brought people together because that's what I feel that a good leader does, brings people together, really focuses on community. And so we're in, we're embarking on our fifth year of Methuen Day. Last year, we I saw- I was there for the first one. You were there for the, the first dunk one. Tank. You were. And boy, was that controversial. Oh. <laughs> you guys wouldn't think me being in a dunk tank would be controversial. You wouldn't believe the controversy because she, she, she announced somewhere on Facebook, yeah, Tom Duggan's going to be in the dunk tank which would be a great thing for your event because how many people hate me, right? They're all lined up. We made more money for you that day than anybody. But the controversy, they were like, we're going to boycott this because Duggan's in a dunk tank. It's just craziness. Yeah, there was a lot of craziness, but I tune out the noise yeah. on that. Um, I, I don't you had a lot of courage, too. I don't want to cut you off, but you had a lot of courage because people who said, we're going to boycott if Duggan's in the dunk tank, you basically told them, sorry, he's going to be in the dunk tank. That's just the way that it is. And that takes a lot of courage in politics because most politicians fold right away. Yeah, no, that's not me. I don't yeah. fold. Yeah. Uh, we worked too hard. Myself and my team worked too hard to put something beautiful together for the community. Mm -hmm. And the community deserved to see it the way that we planned it. Mm -hmm. And so we moved forward. And we continued to move forward. Within our fourth year, we saw over 5,000 people come to the downtown and celebrate mm -hmm. our businesses, celebrate our community, and just you know connect with one another. And that's just a piece of what I'm able to do as a, a leader. I enjoy leading in my community so much. We're now at a pivotal time where there's a new district in the first Essex. So it's Methuen, Lawrence, and Haverhill communities that if 
Something happens in Methuen, it affects Lawrence, it affects Haverhill. Mm -hmm. Something happens in Lawrence, it affects Methuen, it affects Haverhill. So naturally, the community should be collaborating together. So I'm excited that this new district has has come about. And it's an opportunity to collaborate across the district to bring resources in. I'm coming at this with the experience of bringing resources to communities. I worked in all three communities. I'm a city councilor in Methuen. I used to work in Haverhill in community development. I worked on projects like Harbor Place, you know, helping to ensure that the financing was above board. Mm-hmm. And I work in Lawrence now at the YWCA oh, as okay. the director of advancement. So I know and love each of the cities within the community. I understand the challenges. I understand the positives. And I would be the person to be able to bridge the communities together in order to ensure that we have the right advocate at the table. So let's talk about some issues. Um, I know that your opponent, and that's why I'm going to stop first, because I'm going to try and find things that you guys don't agree on, because you're both Democrats and probably agree on 90%. Uh, But one of the things that I don't think you agree on, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that your opponent, Pavel Payano, is, by the way, your only opponent as of right now, is a pro-charter school. Um, And I can't imagine that you'd be, I can't imagine that you'd be pro-charter school too, but I'll throw it out there for you. So you'd be right. Um, back a, a few years ago, there was a, a question on the ballot whether if you voted yes, you voted for to remove funding from our public schools to go towards charter schools. If you voted no, then you supported public education and you believe in public education. I voted no. Do you Not believe only, in public education? I do. Oh, we're going to have a long conversation about so that. So we can we can we can have okay. a conversation about that. I feel like we can talk about that for our, for hours, well, right? Yep. There's a lot that needs to be um, improved in public education, but I do believe in it. There's Mm -hmm. no question about that. But not only did I vote no on question two, but I phone banked to encourage other people to vote no. On election day, I held signs to encourage people to vote no. So when I believe in something, I go 110% into it to Mm -hmm. ensure that people know where I stand. And that's where I stand because it's important for our local leaders to support public education to ensure that we're improving the resources that go to public education, but not just improving the resources, but improving the plan for how the resources are allocated. That's the key. Now I want to run against her. That was, that was supposed to make you laugh. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm um, laughing. <laughs> uh, well, let me challenge you. Okay. Do you think public education is serving our serving our, our public education students. Do you think they're doing a good job? Is the end result, because I don't see a good end result. I see kids that can't do math in their head. I see kids that don't know anything about the other two rights in the First Amendment. To the, like they know free speech, and then after that, they, 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 they're reaching. It doesn't seem to me like the public schools are doing anything but uh, training social justice warriors. They know all about abortion. They know all about global warming. They know all about transgender bathrooms. But ask them what the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution or the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution is. They have no clue. Yeah. So, so I, I hear what you're saying, um, and I disagree. Okay. Because we have teachers in our public schools that are dedicated to students that want them to succeed, that want them to thrive. Let's face it. There, there are students who, you know, maybe don't 
feel that school is is really where they should be at. Maybe they're they're focused on careers after school. And so we have teachers in the classroom that are trying to really bring the focus back to school as a tool for elevating our thought processes, a school as a tool for helping us to think more, think at a deeper level about more complex ideas so that we're productive members of society. But they can't even do the job that we pay them to do. They're supposed to teach math, science, English, and the basic subjects. And while they're doing all this deep thinking about other societal things, they're not doing that. So I, I, again, I disagree with you then. They are doing that, right? And not every teacher is the same, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure when you went to, to school, you had, you know, teachers that really got through to you. And then you had teachers that, you know, you really didn't connect mm-hmm. with. That happens. But they were all focused on the subject at hand. They weren't focused on Donald Trump's a Nazi. They weren't focused on global warming. They weren't focused on any of the political issues. And it seems like today... That's all they're focused on. It doesn't so, seem to matter if a kid fails. They promote them to the next class, to the next grade, even though they're not ready. I don't see that, though. I see teachers, and, and I know teachers personally, that are focused on ensuring that kids are yeah, passing I mean, on Some to of the them next. are, but let me play devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. If you own a car plant in Michigan, and the people who work on the assembly line, they're really dedicated. They really care. And, and when, the, when the machine breaks down, they go out and they buy a wrench and they pay out of pocket. And they do everything that they can and they come in late. Uh, they come in early and they stay late and they don't ask for overtime. But when the car comes off the assembly line, it doesn't work. It's a failure. And I see the majority of kids graduating from public schools not being able to do basic things in life, get a decent job, get into a good college and stay. Uh, we know that, you know, like in Lawrence, for example, that you're going to be representing if you win, you know, uh, 80 something percent of the kids who graduate from Lawrence High School can't get into college. The ones who do, 50 to 60% of them don't last the first year. So I don't blame society. I don't blame racism. I don't blame political correctness. I blame the teachers and the administrators who have a job to do, and they're doing everything else but that job. So I understand where your frustration is, and and again, I I disagree. And we knew that before coming (laughs) into this conversation, that we were going to disagree in a few things. Um, And I say that because not every student is starting at the same place, Mm -hmm. right? Like I said before, every student has has a different focus when they're going into school. It's the teacher's role to try and bring them in and give them at least basic tools so that they can be productive members of society. When you talk about these statistics, I'm not really sure where the statistics are coming from. With my background in economics, I know that statistics can always be manipulated in a way to serve certain purposes. So I don't I don't hang my hat on statistics right away unless I know where they're coming from, what the what the study was, what the pool was that generated that statistic. Then we can have a conversation as to whether the generation of that t- that statistic is fact based or whether the process is flawed. So I, I go at it with that, but I see teachers in my community that every day are going to school early, leaving school late, trying to look at different ways to get through to different students. When you have a class of 35 students, it's difficult to get through to every single student, but 
you have teachers that are going in every day to try and find different ways to get through. I feel like we need to look at more resources. More resources. That I, we do need You're to look me. at. We do right. need to look at more resources to ensure that we're reaching the students. And when I say more resources, that doesn't necessarily mean throwing money at an issue that's because that doesn't work. Right, we've been doing that for that 25 years. If we go back to the beginning of our conversation, I say that we need to look at the structure, mm-hmm. right? 35 kids in a classroom, that structure does not work. Why not? When my, when, when, when my father graduated from high school back in, God, who knows what year, right? 1961, maybe. They had like 100 kids in a class, they were all going to college. They all got out and got a good job. They got a far better education than we get today. And yet today we hear that it's cla- the problem is class size. Now, part of that is true. Part of it's a lie. Part of it is true that, it, that, that it's class size because we don't discipline kids anymore. So if you've got 35 kids in a classroom and five kids are disruptive and you can't discipline them, then the teacher's hands are tied, right? The other part of it, though, is... Again, how did we do it back in 1959, 1965, when there was 100 kids in the classroom and they were still getting a good education? So it's, you're comparing apples to oranges there because it was a very different time, right? Now you have to be more, there are so many more distractions that are pulling our students in, in different directions, right? So you have to compete with that. And then also when you're graduating high school, there are certain... There are certain uh, ideologies, there are certain levels of information that you should have in order to be productive. Not every student is going to graduate high school as a pipeline to college because college is not the end-all, be-all for every person. I absolutely agree with that. We have to look at trade schools. We have to look at ensuring that our students know all the options. Sometimes what happens is that if a student is grappling with science or they're grappling with math, they give up mm-hmm. early. They just show, they'll, they'll show up and just say, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm never going to be good at it. And then they, they tend to not reach their, their full potential because of the, the fear of them being made to feel like they're, they're dumb or, or that they, they can never get it. But if we're working with students, which I know, Many teachers are doing that, working with students to trying to provide them, trying to provide them other options for them so that they can be successful. It may be that they need a smaller class size. I can speak for myself personally in that when I was younger, I really benefited from smaller class sizes, right? Because that's how I was able to get the one-on-one attention so that I could really grapple with algebra one and algebra two. And by being able to be in a smaller class size when I was younger, it helped me to be able to get a master's in economics, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, me being in fourth grade, grappling with math and and science to going to college and, and getting a master's degree. And I attribute that to when I talk about resources, right? The allocation of resources, being able to have that access to a one-on-one teacher that would allow me to better understand and taught, be taught in a different way that I could have a good foundation. Because it's all about the foundation. If you don't have a good foundation for education, then you're not going to be 
you're not going to be successful because it builds. Mm -hmm. If you don't get in fourth grade, you don't get in in fifth grade, in high school, you're going to be behind the curve. So we really need to focus on what structures are in place to support our teachers, to better support our students so that they are able to be so successful that they are able to feel like they can do this, that they can go to school and they could, you know, either go to college or pick up a trade because you and I both know that if a student, whether they make the decision for college or, or trade, they have great opportunities to, to be economically empowered. We have students coming out of trade schools that are going into you know, apprenticeships and, and making $65,000 a year you or know, more, crazy. no debt, yeah. right? So we need to be able to talk about these options early so that our students are encouraged. As a state senator, how do you change that? How do you how do you do all those things that you just outlined? You're going to be one state senator. How do you change that? Yeah, it, it goes to collaboration. So as I talked about before, I am very skilled at collaborating across the board with different stakeholders. It's a conversation with teachers. It's a conversation with administrators. It's a conversation with fellow senators to ensure that everyone is on the same page and understands the value of us looking at how we're structuring education, right? It includes a conversation with the secretary of education, whoever that will you know, be, if there's a change there, to ensure that we're constantly talking about how we're structuring and not just talking about one of the things that really bothers me is that you have legislators that just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, but don't do anything. Right. Right. And that's not me. I actually like to do. At every level, not just at the state house. It's at every level. Well, yes. I mean, you you see it at city council meetings, right? Well, you see it everywhere. You see it everywhere, but you have to actually put policy to action. And that's the type of leader I am. I like to put policy to action. When I say I care about things such as food insecurity, I don't just say it, put a Facebook post up or a tweet out and just say, yes, I believe this is an issue. I say it and then I collaborate with our, our teachers or with United Way to host food drives, right? Because if I really care about something, then I need to be able to show the action behind it. That, that's great because that brings me to my next question. Uh, you see what goes on at TMF on Wednesday nights. Yes. Lawrence is a poor community. It is completely represented by all Democrats. Your state senators, your state reps, your mayor, your city councils, I think with one exception, and your entire school committee are all Democrats. They're, your U.S. senator is a Democrat. All of your executive, uh, except for the, for the governor, are all Democrats. They all come to Lawrence at election time and say how much they care about the poor. And yet, if, they, if even half of them did something to help the homeless in Lawrence, there wouldn't be a need for TMF. TMF wouldn't need to go out every Wednesday night and have 55 people to feed with donated food, which, with no help from the government, no grants from the government, and no help from any, most of our politicians. If you get under the, into the state Senate, what will you do to actually affect the homeless population in the Merrimack Valley, whereby they're not homeless anymore. You know, like conversations are great, but what they need is they need housing. Um, they need job training. They need mental health uh, uh, services. And they're not getting it. I mean, we see them. We see them every Wednesday night come. They're living in tents. We drive around every Wednesday night. They're living in tents yeah. in this weather. 
Yeah. And um, I'm glad to to hear that you understand the, the relationship between mental health services and housing. So I'm coming at this conversation having worked at the Lowell Housing Authority for approximately five years in housing, in affordable housing, understanding how to work with with communities of, of lower income and the lack of resources for mental health services is closely related. Right? But why is that in a state that's, that's dominated by one party that preaches every time they run for office, for any office, I mean, from library board of trustees all the way up to governor, they all run on we, the demo, we're here to help the poor and then they don't. And I, I try, some of them are my friends. I try, I, call, I have to call them out and say, look, what are you doing? We wouldn't need to do this Wednesday night if you guys were doing your job. Why aren't you doing it? We talked about COVID. Everybody was obsessed with COVID, but we've lost more people to opioid addiction than we lost to COVID, and no one's talking about it. No one's even looking at solutions. Yeah, it's it's not party related. It just has to do with the leadership that that we have, right? People don't want to talk about homelessness because they have to talk about mental health. And because we haven't invested in mental health services for decades, we're far behind the curve. It's it's like an iceberg, right? People want to pretend like it's not there. We can just go around it. You know, we'll still be there. I feel like that is the approach that leadership has had towards homelessness and mental health. In the mental health uh, services world, it is very difficult because there's so there's lack of, of resources there. You see so much turnover. And that is also difficult when you're talking about homelessness because they talk about, so in the mental health field, they, they talk about touches, right? If you are a person on the, home, on the verge of homelessness and you're assigned a caseworker, that caseworker may have 30 other cases that are, all, that all require a large amount of, of time and mental capacity to be able to, to affect. But that caseworker doesn't have support, the support they need in order to do that work. So what and are you, so so you going to do to fix it? Because I'm looking for a state Senate candidate that's going to that's gonna get in there and fix it. Like allocate money for rooming houses in Methuen, in Andover, in North Andover. Because when we survey the, the people who, who come to TMF every Wednesday night, we ask them to write down their name and what town they're from. Two-thirds of them aren't from Lawrence. So if you, beca- if, yeah. you, if you lived in Andover and you lived in a million-dollar home for 10 years and your company goes under or your wife leaves you and takes all your stuff and divorces you and you end up homeless, there's no place in Andover to go even though you've paid all those taxes your whole life. Same thing with Methuen, North Andover, Reading, and all these other communities. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a candidate that's going to say, yes, I know nobody wants it in their backyard, but Methuen needs one, and so does Andover, and so does North Andover. Otherwise, all the problems always go into Lawrence. We're always pouring resources into Lawrence, and it never gets better. No, I mean, I, I agree in that we, we do need more of those resources, but we also need the workforce to be able to do it. So I would back up and ensure that, first of all, where we have resources for mental health service professionals to be able to do their job. The mental health services field is is underpaid. Mm-hmm. It, it is. And that's 
that's difficult because you're asking what I feel is a critical, critical service. You're asking people who they go to that, they, they go to that work because they love it, because they love helping others, but you're asking them to do the work and not be properly compensated. And so you're seeing, that's part of the reason why you're seeing large So you raise the return. pay for the people who work in human services. I think that's important. And I think it's also important to recruit more people to work in human services. So you have a, so you have a, a strong workforce and then you'd have that foundation in place to ensure that you can open up additional facilities for people to to be able to to live to be able to receive services to be able to receive care and have rehabilitation so that they can then become economically empowered and be able to to live independently and not have to rely on the services as much mm-hmm. right so the goal is always rehabilitation the goal is always to to Give people the tools to be able to live their best lives. Mm-hmm. And the way you do that is to ensure that you have the proper structures in, pl- in place. I, it is I, not an easy, you know, one, two, three step. It, oh, no, it's, 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 it will a very, take, it's a very complicated it's solution. Very, it's a very complicated, very complex solution. But if you have a plan and if you have the right people at the table, then you can be successful. For me, that's how I approach things as a professional. I look at what the root causes are first and see what we need to do to create the foundation to move forward. And then you start putting the pieces together, knowing that it's not going to happen overnight. If I were to sit here and say, oh yeah, I have a plan. We're going to get rid of that in one year. That would be, that would be asinine. Right. Right. I understand that this is many of the issues that are faced by Methuen, Lawrence and Haverhill are similar issues. It's important for us all to collaborate, sit at the table, and start strategizing to have a plan to move forward. Because if we don't do that, then we're going to fail. I could talk about this for another hour, but I want a couple of other issues I want to get to. Your party, the Democrat Party, um, is uh, at least at the national level and certainly at the state level, um, very obsessed with defunding police. And it seems like the minority candidates, so to speak, in the Merrimack Valley area are against that. Uh, I, I talked to your, your, your opponent. He was here a couple of weeks ago. He's off of giving more funding to police. So I'm wondering what you think about all that. Yeah. So I think we need to look at how we're allocating those resources, right? We need to ensure that there's proper resources and proper funding for mental health services. We need to ensure that we have training available and that we have the the proper equipment available for our officers. And we need to ensure that community policing is at the the forefront. So you're against defunding the police then? So I'm for ensuring that we have strong community policing. I didn't get a yes or a no out of that. Did you notice that? I mean, it's just me. <laughs> so I don't, I, don't, I don't like that term, right? So for me, I, I think if you, you get what you put into a service, right? I want to ensure that, that my community members know who their police officers are, that they feel comfortable with reaching out to the police department if they're in need. That is what we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on that. And so I'm a partner with our police department, our Methuen Police Department, and ensuring that, you know, community members know how to contact them, that we have a police department that's representative of the community. Folks feel comfortable with with 
going to the department if they need, if they have a need. Uh, I've worked on projects to encourage people to take the civil service test, right? We need to have good officers in our communities. So if I was going to check yes or no on that box, it sounds like I'm checking no, but I just want to make sure before I put the check mark in. Because <laughs> there was a lot of answers there that didn't have a yes or a no in it, right? So is, is that like a no? Like you want to make sure that they're properly funded? Yes. So then that would be a no. You're not for defunding them. You're not for taking money away from the cops. I'm not for taking money away. I'm for ensuring that we have the adequate resources to run. What do you think is the biggest difference if if the election's tomorrow and you're meeting with a bunch of people who are undecided and they're trying to figure out whether they should vote for you or Pavel Payano? What what would be what would be your best pitch? What would you say, you know, this is why you should pick me instead? I can't speak for other candidates, but I can speak for myself. I am the only candidate that has worked in every single city within the district. I'm the only candidate that's coming to this table with over eight years experience in grant writing and program facilitation. I'm the only candidate who has worked with communities of lower income and understand what's needed. I'm the only candidate that's going to be able to collaborate and bring people to the table to ensure that we have policies that work. I'm accessible. I don't speak out of turn. I ensure that I have the proper facts. I do my research. I admire that about you, by the way. I'll watch those Methuen Council meetings, and everybody has to go around the table and give their opinion about something. And I, that, I, I Even when I started in the Lawrence School Committee, I didn't understand it then. I still don't understand why everyone has to give their view on one particular thing. And when it gets to you, oftentimes you're just like, well, everything's already been said. Whereas other politicians would echo what the other person said and even say, I want to echo what my colleague said and then say the exact same thing. So they're hoping maybe they're being quoted in the paper or something. And you don't do that. And I, I, I admire that because it, 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 you've, I've never seen you grandstand. And I don't think I can say that for too many other politicians. I don't think I've ever seen you grandstand. And to me, that shows maturity in in a candidate. That shows maturity in an elected official. Well, that's not my job to grandstand. My job is to ensure that I'm doing my homework, reading through my packet, doing additional research to ensure that I know what I'm voting on. And that's what I do. If I see an error, then I'll I'll point it out. If not, then I'll move forward because that is the job of a leader. You're there to represent the community. I was watching your, I, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to do this, but now I have to. I was watching your fundraiser, your Zoom fundraiser. And by the way, anybody who, who um, has a chance to watch any of Eunice's, uh, are they still up online? Can people go back and look? Um, yes. go Because she, she, she does, she's, she's a jazz singer. Most people don't know that. And so she does some jazz singing at the very beginning, which is great. Then it went to the Q&A. And I got to tell you, I was throwing things at my screen. Because your, I think it was your first question, came from, and I'm Jewish, so that's why I feel okay to ask this question. He said, I'm Jewish, and I'm really concerned about anti-Semitism, and what are you going to do with anti-Semitism? And before you could even answer, I'm throwing things at the screen going, what does a state senator have anything to do with anti-Semitism? She's running to run the government to pass a budget. What, I can't even believe he asked the question. And then your answer was, well, we're going to have conversations with people, and we're going to try. And I'm thinking, I got to ask her this question. I have to. Is that something that happens because you're running in a, in a primary and everybody's trying to stake out a position? Or is that something that's really important to a candidate running for state office, whether or not they're, I don't know anybody that's 
for anti-Semitism that would run for office, or if they were, they certainly wouldn't say, oh yeah, I'm for anti-Semitism. So I, I guess I'm, I'm befuddled by all of it. So, And as a Jew, I'm even more befuddled by all of it. <laughs> I, I would never ask that question of a candidate ever. I hear you. Um, but I think it's important to ask candidates that are asking for your support all the questions that concern you. At the end of the day, as a community leader, if it's a concern to a community member, it's a concern for me. If there's anything that I can do to affect change in that area, I will. If I can't directly affect change, then I'm going to look at what resources are available to affect change. You know, that in that instance, if there is a piece of legislation that is being taken up in Congress, you know, I could pick up the phone and call our congresswoman. What, what and, kind and of legislation can stop anti-Semitism? Like, I really want to drill down on this because it, 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 it's not so much that I disagree with it, it's just I don't understand it. Because okay. I grew up at a time when people who ran for office were there to run the government and, and, and not preach social wokeism. And even though I'm, I'm concerned about anti-Semitism, I converted 25, 28 years ago, however long it was, right? So I, I'm, I'm very concerned about anti-Semitism, but I would never turn to an elected official or a government official to fix that problem. I would turn to my synagogues and, and talk to the Catholic Church and talk to the other faith leaders about that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just befuddled by all of it. Yeah, so... Because it's, so not, it's a, not my wheelhouse. Like, I don't get it. It's a, it's a partnership, right? Mm-hmm. If there is an opportunity to, to fund an organization that is doing work around breaking barriers uh, around anti-Semitism, if there is a way to convene faith leaders, you know, that's what leaders do, right? It's getting people to the table. I've just never seen any legislation that's made a Nazi... Just go, you know what? We've been picking on the Jews just way too long. We should just stop doing this. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it feels good. We all have these, 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 these talking groups and we get together and we, and, we, and we talk and people feel better afterwards. But it doesn't seem to me like it's really going to solve any problems. So it doesn't happen overnight, but the conversations need to start, mm-hmm. right? So a leader's job is to take what the community members' concerns are and look for ways to try and affect change, get people to the table, have the conversations, and then create an action plan. Right? That's, you know, been, it's, some of these concerns have been around for a long time. We're not going to change them overnight. Do you think we we're ever going to gonna change them? It doesn't seem to me like, like I know the Democrats are always like all, all in 100%. We're going to end racism. Uh, do you really think we're ever going to end ra- I don't think we're ever going to re- end racism any more than we're ever going to end people being mean or people bullying I mean, I don't know. So I'm, I'm the optimist. I, I think we can, okay. right? And it takes us having conversations, getting people together, really understanding you know, where our differences lie, how to accept one another, how to listen. It goes down to listening. Sometimes people just don't listen. They just want to hear their voices. Mm-hmm. They just want to share their grievances and then they turn off right. or they leave the room or they leave the conversation. We need to create a climate where that's no longer okay where it's required that we listen to each other and try to find Everybody's ground. shouting everybody down today. Nobody, nobody wants to hear what the other side has to say. And sometimes, even if you have the high, moral high ground, the other side may have something valid to say. Yeah, but we have to respect one another. Right. Like, you and I have a respect for one another, as you said earlier. There we don't agree on anything, that we really, don't right. agree on, right? But we're having this conversation, and right. we're listening to one and another. And you're going to get a lot of crap for being here, believe me. Because I, I watched some of the questions you were getting from your far-left supporters, and I was like, wow, when she comes on my show, are they going to kick the crap out of her? <laughs> 
Because people people seem to think that like because you're on the other end of a political view or the political spectrum, you're a bad person, and everybody should just shun you. And I, again, maybe it just comes from from growing up in a in a household where you know my my aunt and uncle raised me, and uh, he was a police officer. My father was a police officer. And at dinner time, we all sat around and we talked about like you know what do you think about the death penalty? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about this or that? And we would fight and call each other names, and sometimes popcorn would get thrown. But when it was over, we all piled into the car and went to Dairy Queen. Like, we were all still family. We all still loved each other. And, and that's the way the political climate was back then. It would be nice if we could get back to that. Yeah. I mean, and, and it starts with us creating the climate for that, right? right? Um, at the end of the day, I'm running to be a state senator, not just for Democrats, but for independents, for Republicans, for Green Rainbow is there Party. Anywhere, is there any position you have that would make a Republican want to vote for you? I'm not a Republican, so it's not a self-serving question. But but a conservative, is there any position that you have that would make a conservative go, you know what, I don't agree with her on most things, but I really like that issue? I think everything that I've said so far, right? Uh, my experience. Am I doing a different interview? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, my, no, no, seriously, though. Uh, I am the best candidate to advocate for this community. Mm-hmm. I have the experience. I understand what it takes to listen, to bring people to the table. I am a strong supporter of our small business communities. I helped to you know, write a grant in Methuen for small business relief. I'm constantly looking at ways to promote local, our, our local grown initiatives. And that's what's important. At the end of the day, even if we may disagree on issues, I feel like we all agree that community is key. I agree. And you should always shop local. We should always be helping local businesses. I never go to Home Depot. I never go to Walmart unless I absolutely have to. If there's, I can't find it anywhere else or I'll find it online. But I always try to shop locally, even on, uh, on my office on Main Street, North Andover. There's a hardware store across the street. He's a lot more expensive than at Rocky's. I still go there because he's a local businessman who made it through COVID. He made it through Columbia Gas just like we did, and he's still struggling, and I want to make sure that I give that, give that guy my business. Right. When you think about it, when the soccer leagues or baseball or what have you, when they're doing their fundraisers, who do they turn to? Right. They turn local to business. the local business owners to support their initiatives. And we're going to be doing that with our bash, although I, I, I plan on running a couple. I'm doing a bash update, but we're out of time. Um, give your final pitch. And by the way, before you give your final pitch, Will you come in and do a debate here on the show? I most certainly will. That's awesome. I love to hear that. Uh, give, give your final pitch. Um, maybe somebody just kind of tuned in and they didn't hear the rest. They'll have to go back and look at it. What, what do you say to the voters about why come uh, it's September is the primary? September 6th. So why on September 6th should they vote for you over anybody else? So on September 6th, we're going to have a choice. You're going to have a choice to vote for an advocate that's going to have the most experience to bring this community together. We are voting to elect a candidate that will be able to support public education, be able to support economic development, who's a champion for transportation, for improved infrastructure. I am that candidate. I am your choice. I would represent you at the table in the state Senate on September 6th. I'm asking for your support. Between now and then, please feel free to check out my website, www.unaziggler.com. My platform is there. Information, More information about me is there. I am a community leader that cares about 
bringing the first Essex district together. With your support on September 6th, I can do that. Boy, is her husband lucky. That's all I can say. And I want to say before we end the show, we can start with Melvin Taylor. Before we end the show, I, I, I want to say happy birthday to Chrissy. It's her birthday today. Happy birthday, happy birthday to you, Tom. It's no, also no, yours. No, it's don't not be telling all about people me. that. Don't, happy be, birthday, don't be telling Tom. people that. <laughs> it's going to be all over thank my Facebook you, page now. Uh-huh. Uh, and I want to thank Eunice Ziegler for coming in. I have, to, yeah. I have to say, I like both of these candidates as people. I really like uh, Pavel. Uh, I really like Eunice. I think they're both good people. I'm glad they both agreed to come in and do a debate. Hopefully there won't be a third candidate. That'll make it easier for me. And you really always have to ask yourself, how is this going to benefit Tom, right? So uh, I want to thank our sponsors, McLennan Real Estate, as I pull them up, AFC Urgent Care, Marsan and Son Construction, EIS Investigations, and Gun Training, Borelli's Deli, Tomo and Happy Crab, where I'm going tonight for dinner. Uh, Clear Path for Veterans, New England, who are going to be, we're going to be giving half of our bash Raffle money is going to go to Clear Path for Veterans New England. Sullivan Insurance and Lazy River Products in Drakeit. Well, I'm, I'm going to try and go down there maybe today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's a cannabis store. I'm going to give it a shot and see, see what's going on. <laughs> uh, sounds like Melvin Taylor says we got to go home. Thank yeah. you, Eunice, for coming in. Thank you for having so me. So go home already. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.